save big money, and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and once again, I want you all to listen up here and get a load of this. Mike Tyson, The Knockout. It's a two-part documentary, folks, that ran on ABC the past couple of weeks. But the title really should have been called Mike Tyson, The Farce, because trust me, this documentary was a complete joke. Mind you, don't blame the former champion. Because I actually thought Iron Mike was quite good. But for the rest of them, forget about it. A farce indeed. So like I said, listen up. Because you're really going to want to get a load of this. And believe me, I'm talking about four hours. Each part was two hours. And, And really, of the four hours that I watched in this... Mike Tyson, The Knockout, I'd say the last eight minutes of the four hours was worthwhile. The last eight minutes. The rest of it was complete garbage. It was rehashed stuff. It was, for lack of a better term, bullshit. Uh, But I really, and listen, I am not a fan of Mike Tyson. I... For the longest time, I question his sincerity. Well, people will say to me, but Russ, he's a changed guy and this and that. Well, I'd say everybody changes when they need to make money. But I actually listened to those last eight minutes or so. And for the first time, I actually said to myself, you know what? Maybe Mike Tyson is really getting it. Maybe he's really figuring it out. And while when I watched him talk, I actually sensed not bull, but sincerity. And I'm going to get into that later on here in this podcast. But the, the reason this documentary pissed me off, is that the proper word? Pissed me off, frustrated me. First of all, it was a lot of rehashed stuff. Now, I realize I'm in the business, sports business, the news business, so 
maybe what's rehashed to me is not rehashed to you or some of the people out there. I, I get that. But I didn't even understand the purpose of this documentary. Because if you wanted to show, if the people wanted to show Mike Tyson changing, well, as I said, they could have done that in eight minutes. I thought really the only compelling part of this entire four hours of documentary was just listening to Mike Tyson speak. I mean, they went over everything. They went over him from being Browns, from coming from the violent streets of Brownsville and Brooklyn, of going up under the tutelage of Customano and Jim Jacobs. They discussed everything. Uh, you know, they spoke about you know his rape, rape case with Desiree Washington. They spoke about his marriage with Robin Givens. They ran all the interviews with the Barbara Walters, and on and on and on. But it was nothing new. And, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the people in the interview, uh, who, who are interviewed, people that I know, friends of mine, some better than others, I, I just thought people were more interested in, in making a statement than just answering the questions. Like to me, I, every interview that I watched, it looked like somebody was being interviewed. They were auditioning for something. It, it was too melodramatic nonsense for me. And one, well, what really annoyed me, though, there was an angle. They... I think the producers were looking, maybe, maybe it's because the times that we're in, but they were looking to push the race angle. Ah, yes, the race angle. angle. And as, as I always say, folks, you heard me say it time and time again, for, for crying out loud, last week, I did a, a thing, God, if we're going to have a discussion on race, let's have an honest discussion, not a dishonest one. So who did I have interviewing early on? And he's in it throughout at different points, Carl E. Douglas, all right? If you're not familiar with Carl E. Douglas, folks, Carl E. Douglas, very bright man, uh, black man, African-American. He used to be the managing um, attorney for the law office, law office of Johnny Cochran. Now, you know, of course, Johnny Cochran, uh, he was a member of that dream team that defended successfully, I might add, O.J. Simpson and O.J.'s murder case. And, you know, then after uh, leaving Cochran, uh, Carl Douglas, uh, he went out on his own and had some big, big cases. And, you know, listen, you don't need any, you don't have to be a brain scientist to figure this out, a rocket scientist. We're talking about, you know, uh, defending Michael Jackson, Jamie Foxx, Queen Latifah, for, former NFL safety Darren uh, Sharper, um, a Cochran, of course, defended, uh, represented Tupac Shakur, Sean Puffy Combs, P. Diddy, whatever he calls himself, Todd Bridges, you remember, of different strokes. So you know where I'm coming from. All big-time, quote-unquote, black African-American names, celebrities. 
In fact, uh, for you basketball fans, in, in 2009, uh, it was Carly Douglas who represented the all-time basketball great legend Elgin Baylor uh, in a lawsuit at the time against the L.A. Clippers you know, and the NBA. They were alleging race and age discrimination. The suit, that suit was unsuccessful. Anyway, so you know where... Right. The reason I'm giving you the background, because I'm going to read a statement that he said in this piece, Carly Douglas, who's talking about Mike Tyson. In white America, and he said it with real, he said it as if he was talking to a jury. In white America, the image of Mike Tyson was that he was scary. From the black perspective, he was a hero because he was a, a success in the white man's world and gave worldly possessions at the white man's game. Hmm. The image of Tyson was scary to white America. Hmm. He was successful in a white man's world. Let me tell you something about the world of boxing. For as long as I can remember, it's predominantly black. And there's a reason for that. Because to be successful in the world of boxing, you know where you had to come from? You had to come from the mean streets. You had to come from a place where in your life there was hunger. As I've said many times, hunger is not something that you acquire. You can't learn it. it. You either have to taste it or that's it. So he's making this out, white America, black America. That's what what Mike Tyson was all about. I mean, you can go down the line from Ali to Clay, when he was Clay, to Ali, Joe Frazier, Larry Holmes. Who, who do you want? The Brown Bomber himself, Joe Lewis. But later in the piece... I quote, this is Carly Douglas. I was terrified by that brother. Now, wait a minute, Carl. As they say, is you is or is you ain't? You were saying white America, the image of Mike Tyson was scary. Well, you are part of black America, African America, Carl E. Douglas. And I'm quoting you, I was terrified by that brother. I don't know the purpose of Carl Douglas in this piece. Other than a black man trying to to talk race. Didn't know any purpose of it whatsoever. None. That's why I use the term in, you know, in, in this title. It's a farce. It should have been called... Mike Tyson, the farce. Not Mike himself, the farce, but the documentary was a farce. Then they had, and I'm going in and out here, but I want to lay it out for you. They were talking, they spoke to this gal, uh, lady, African-American lady, E.R. Ship. Now, E.R. Ship, 
was a reporter for the New York Times. She also won a um, 1996, I believe it was, a Pulitzer Prize for her commentary on race, welfare, and uh, social issues for the Daily News. Okay? Now, she was talking about the case. She was talking about the uh, rape case, Desiree Washington um, accusing Mike Tyson of rape of which he went to prison for. Now, this is what E.R. Ship had to say. Emmett Till was lynched for perhaps whistling at a white woman. So, people knew these stories going back to time and were saying, once again, a black man was being lynched by the system. I have never watched anything or heard anything so disgraceful in my life. And I mean that sincerely. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American boy. 14 years old in 1955 in Mississippi when he was beaten body mutilated and lynched for allegedly whistling at a white woman. For allegedly whistling at a white woman. It is, you know, it's just a horrific story. And, uh, you know, it really became, his death became a great part of the civil rights movement. Terrible, terrible ugly, disgusting story. And this woman, E.R. Ship, Pulitzer Prize winner or not, E.R. Ship has the balls, the nerve. You're going to mention Emmett Till's death and call Mike Tyson going to trial for a a rape allegation as being the same, being lynched by the system. And she also said in the piece that she had a hard time wrapping her hand, her arms around this, uh, wrapping herself around it because now it was the accuser was an African-American woman. Really? Who sounds like racist here? Huh? Who sounds like racist here? And the reason I'm calling this documentary a farce, what the hell does this garbage have to do with Mike Tyson? You want to tell me? What does this... Hey, if he was guilty, he was guilty. If he was innocent, he was innocent. What does this have to do? This is what you had a... a, a documentary of four hours for it to talk about this crap? I mean, I'm telling you. It, 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 to me, it was it's insulting to the public. Why did you people do a documentary? 
because we're in a time where race is a major issue in this country. I don't remember when it's never been a major issue in this country, but between BLM and everything going on and the police and this, Mike Tyson, you 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 are liking likening Mike Tyson to Emmett Till. Emmett Till's death is a landmark case in civil rights history. Mike Tyson's was a rape case of a black woman. The accused was a black woman. What are we talking about here, folks? All right? Who sounds like the racist here? So those were two people in this documentary. Those were two people in the documentary. Now, a third was Rosie Perez. Now, Rosie Perez is an Academy Award-nominated actress. Good actress. But here she was listed as a boxing aficionado. A boxing aficionado. Says who? You know what? I've been in this sports business for a long time. 36, 37 years. And let me tell you something. I don't even call. I, I know the game. I know the business. I know the sweet science. Covered plenty of it. I don't even call myself a boxing aficionado. She calls herself a boxing aficionado. And all she was throughout the entire thing sounded like a silly, smitten fan. Defending any and everything Mike Tyson did. She talks about him as money that you never had. How do you process all that? Well, you know what, Rosie? A lot of people come from the mean streets. And they make it. And somehow they process all that. And then she goes on. She's talking about Brownsville. It was so dangerous down there. I'm talking about gangs. I'm talking about girls disappearing. I'm talking about dead bodies being found in vacant lots at 10 in the morning. Who is going to come out of a building, duck and rape you, stab you, murder you? Let me tell you something. For those of you who know me, know a little bit about my history, I'm from Brooklyn. Born in the Bronx, but raised in Brooklyn, Sheeps of Bay, Brooklyn. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School. Brooklyn Tech High School then and now is still one of the better schools in the country. You have to take one of those specialized tests to get in there, okay? It was located, it still is located, in the 29 Fort Greene place, Fort Greene section of Brooklyn. Now, that... that area has really been gentrified and rebuilt and it's quite quite nice now when i went there it was a war zone tough dangerous place but i also went there brooklyn tech was located reason i'm telling you this was located in a, a, a part of the city because kids from all over the city went there all over the city from queens bronx stat every place Okay. And I went to school with a lot of guys. Also, when I went, now it's co-ed. When I went, I went with 7,000 boys. 
And a lot of those boys, a lot of friends of mine who I went to their homes, they came to my house in the projects. They were from Brownsville and Bed-Stuy. And when I used to go on the train to their homes, believe me, they would meet me at the train station, at the subway station, so I wouldn't be walking along because life was dangerous. And you know what, folks? They came from the same mean streets of Brownsville. And you know what? They all went on to college and college careers and became successful. Now, do some people succumb to those mean streets? You bet your sweet ass they do. But some, plenty, make it out. They rise above. So that bullshit is just bullshit. That was just, like I say, it sounded like a smitten girl just completely gaga over Mike Tyson. And quite frankly, it was an insult to the people who live in Brownsville. Because she made it sound like everybody from Brownsville is shit. You can't make it out of Brownsville. They they had former heavyweight uh, Shannon Briggs saying, you have two chances of getting out of Brownsville, slim and none. Well, that's bullshit. Is it tough? Yeah. I'll be the first one to say that. But don't insult an entire people by saying that. But now, now we get to some fun stuff. Now we get to some fun stuff. When Mike Tyson uh, bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. All right? When Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. I quote Rosie Perez. All of a sudden, it wasn't Mike Tyson, the champion. It was Mike Tyson from Brownsville that got cheated, that got spit on, that got sucker punched, that got underestimated, that didn't receive the proper love and guidance from home. He didn't he didn't know what to do except to bite and bite he did. Man, that was heartbreaking to watch. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop saying he lost it, he lost it, he lost it. He's in trouble. This isn't entertainment. This isn't funny. This is this man's life. He just destroyed his career. Holy shit. Could you gag on this nonsense? I I mean, you folks, listen to the three people that I just put in a documentary. If somebody would ask me, Russ, we're putting together a documentary on Mike Tyson. In a million and one years, I could never guess those three names I just mentioned. Carly Douglas, E.R. Ship, and Rosie Perez. Okay? Now, also, what I didn't know anything about, none whatsoever, was that they were going to use my interview with Mike Tyson going back to 1999 when he was coming back after biting off of Vander Holyfield's ear as, as he was getting ready for the Francois Botha fight, okay? I knew nothing about this. 
And lo and behold, there I was. So uh, for those of you who didn't, um, aren't familiar with it, we're going to let you listen to it. All right. Again, this was, it was a satellite feed. They had called me up and asked me, would you like to be on a satellite feed from, he was going to be in Vegas. And I said, sure. And this was when I was interviewing him for WWOR. It was UPN9 at the time. All right, here we go. Mike, uh, Francois Botha, 6-1 to one underdog. Are there any concerns on your part? I don't know anything about that. I don't know nothing about numbers. I just know what I can do. How about kill this mother... Okay. How about the 19 months off? Does, what does about that, it? Does what it po- about it? Does it pose any problem to you? We'll see. I doubt it seriously. You take into the ring a lot of rage. Does that work for you or does it work against you at times? You know, who cares? We're in a fight anyway. What What, the, what, what does it matter? Well, for example, rage against uh, Vander Holyfield worked against you. Well, f*** it. It's a fight. So whatever happens, happens. Mike, why do you have to talk like that? Well, I'm talking to you the way I want to talk to you. Do you have a problem? Turn off your station. You know what? I think we'll end the discussion right now. Then we could. You got it. Have a nice fight, Mike. Off. Yep, that is Mike Tyson. <laughs> okay, now let me just give you a little backdrop into that. They had called me up. They said, uh, hey, uh, Russ, you want to interview Mike Tyson? We're allowing one TV station in each market. Um to do the interview. So I, you know, I said, great, that's, I'm, I'm flattered. I said, how come you're coming to me uh, above, uh, you know, as opposed to the other stations? And, and she was said to me, well, you're known to do a lot of boxing stories. So we'll, you know, we thought we'd offer it to you. I says, yeah, I want to do it, but let me ask you a question. I know Mike, I know he's going to be, could be cranky sitting there doing all these, you know, one interview after another, after another on a satellite feed. Where am I in the pecking order? Because if I'm going to be like sixth or seventh, doesn't work for me. He's going to be cranky and it won't be good. So uh, she says, well, hang on and I'll get back to you in 10 minutes. So sure enough, she called me back in 10 minutes. She said, you're number two. Fortunately, I was number two because obviously he was cranky when he spoke to me. But anyway, that was my interview there with... with uh, Mike Tyson. And and but what irked me because right after that interview, they were talking to uh Mark Kriegel of ESPN. Mark Kriegel used to write for the Daily News. Mark Kriegel, good friend of mine. You know, he he lives out in LA now. But Mark Mark Kriegel was talking about Tyson, and I didn't buy this statement that he said. And they ran this like as almost in conjunction with my interview there, talking about Mike, he wanted to play the bad guy and we, meaning the media, we wanted him to play the bad guy. So we got what we wanted. Well, let me tell you something. I don't buy into that we wanted him to be the bad guy. When he came in as the youngest heavyweight ever, he wasn't I mean, He wasn't the bad guy. We were all in awe of him. This fighting, fierce you know, awesome power, knockout, 
Iron Mike. We were all enthralled with it. Because let me tell you something, folks. There was a time in this country, in this world, there was no bigger title than to be the heavyweight champion of the world. No, no bigger title. You go all, go back in time. You're the heavyweight champ. You're the man, whether it was Cassius Clay, whether it was Muhammad Ali, whether it was whoever it was, Joe Smokin', Joe Frazier, Larry Holmes, all of them. Heavyweight champion, Rocky Marciano, Joe Lewis, Jack Dempsey, Gene Tunney, whoever. Okay? But we I didn't want him to be the bad guy. He turned out, he turned himself into being the bad guy. And then once you're the bad guy, then the media jumps on it. Then it's like, oh, what's he going to do next? What's he going to do next? You know, it was one slip up after another. Whether it was crashing cars, whether it was the horror of marriage to Robin Givens, all of it. But we didn't want him to be the bad guy. So I don't buy that. He anointed himself the bad guy. And then they would, you know, they would do it. First of all, his relationship with the legendary Customato, you, you know, the the young black kid from, from, from the ghetto with the older white man. And they were like, you know, this wonderful story. I'm sorry. To me, it was never a wonderful story. Excuse me. Never a wonderful story. I mean, Customano was more interested in Customano getting another heavyweight champion than he was in helping a young man from the hood. Let's be honest about that. Totally. So they played it up with the violins. They played it up with everything else. You, you know, uh, you know when he died, when Cus died. Mike was lost, and then Jim Jacobs, his manager, died, and he was lost. No, 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 no. He was lost long before. And the other part that was nonsense about this, they spoke about, they were talking to Teddy Atlas, which Teddy Atlas was very legit in the piece. Very legit. I should have said that earlier in in the show, in the podcast. Very legit. And he told some very honest stories. And, and, you know, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, Mike Tyson grabbed Teddy's 11-year-old sister-in-law at the time where he shouldn't have grabbed her. And Teddy waited in the weeds for him, for Mike Tyson, put a gun to his head, told him if he ever did something like that again, blow his brains out, and shot the gun in the air. And in the piece... And, you know, Teddy speaks about it. I'm, Teddy is one of my closer friends. And Teddy's been very honest about it, not just with me, but with everybody. But in the piece, it said that, and after that, Cuss just had enough and Teddy had to go. Well, but they left out something, though. That Cuss had asked Teddy to go but he would give him 5%. He would see that Teddy got 5% of all future earnings of Mike Tyson. 
To which Teddy said, stick the 5% up your ass, I'll leave without anything. And that's what Teddy did. Teddy Atlas might be the most principled human being I have ever met, almost to a fault. That wasn't in the piece. They're talking to Camille Ewald. Camille Ewald was Customato's partner in that home that they were all living in. They didn't tell the story when um, Camille asked, uh, told Mike he should take a shower. He came in, he stunk for lack of a better term. And he completely blew a gasket, Tyson did, and started screaming at her and cursing at her in front of everybody. None of that was in the piece. None of those things were in the piece. And when Rosie Perez was crying about Mike Tyson, poor Mike Tyson, he was sucker punched, he was spit on. No, but they didn't tell the stories of Mike Tyson being from the neighborhood in Brownsville and going up to an old black woman saying, hey, ma'am, can I help you up the stairs with your groceries? Oh, yes, thank you, young man. Go in the elevator and pow! Sucker punch the old black woman in the face. They didn't tell any of those stories. They always say the guy, he came from the streets, getting a Brownsville, the shit, the garbage. Do you know Mike Tyson has a brother who's five years older than them who's a surgeon's assistant? How'd he make it out? How'd he make it out? His name is Rodney Tyson. How'd he make... You never hear that story, do you? This was just an agenda. This was just an agenda by the people putting together a documentary. It was a farce. But... I, I'm glad I sat through all that shit because after the first hour, I was, after the part one, I was intrigued. I says, I got to see what's coming up. But the last, as I said earlier, as we started this podcast, the last eight, 10 minutes was the best for me because you got to see Mike Tyson talking, not the old Mike, which a lot of it was tape stuff, but a current sit down. And to me, this was what was very moving to me. Tyson was interviewed by um, Byron Pitts, Byron Pitts of Nightline. And um, he asked Mike a question. And I I was watching, what's he, Mike's 52, 54 now? I was watching, (laughs) Mike wasn't even sure if he was 52 or if if he was 54, but Pitts asked him the question, if you you could talk to the 20-year-old Mike he said to Tyson, what would you say? And Tyson said to him, I'd say it's going to hurt. going to hurt bad. It's really going to hurt. And just the way he said it, you know, there was not a meanness about it. There was, not, it, it, there was a thoughtfulness. Uh, I don't want to use the word somber because it wasn't somber but it was thoughtful. And and he was talking about what fear is and what fear has done to him. And, and Tyson said, I'm what fear looks like. 
If you think anybody is afraid of me, I'm probably a thousand times more afraid of them than they are afraid of me. That's why I'm going to be more aggressive than they are. My whole life is fear-based. Now, think about that. That is the perfect description of what a bully is. Because all of your bullies, not some of them, all of them, bullies are insecure. They're afraid. Bullies are insecure. And they're also aggressive. Mike analyzed that to a T. And he he wasn't doing it, as I say, in a mean, vicious way. He was somber. He was sincere. Again, it just, it was the first time I actually felt, you know what, after all this time, he finally gets it. Mike Tyson finally gets it. Tyson went on to say, success, he was asked about this, success for me is not cheating on my wife. It's not going to prison. It's being responsible and being present. I'm from Brownsville, Brooklyn, and have a penchant for violence. It's still possible for me to do something stupid and lose everything. I mean, this was the first, forget Iron Mike. I thought this was Honest Mike for the first time. Again, I'm not playing violins for him, but I just genuinely think, and I never thought I'd be able to say this. I'm telling you the truth. I never thought I'd be able to say this, that um, I believe Mike Tyson. But I believed him in those few minutes that he was talking. One thing that I didn't like about the piece, they spoke to his therapist, a woman, white woman, not that it matters. But um, he, you know, she had gotten permission from Mike to do the interview. That kind of irked me, though, because to me, if you're a therapist, if you're a shrink, whether you get permission or not, that that's uh, patient doctor confidentiality. You shouldn't be talking about that. That's why I don't I don't like these these uh, rehab. What's it, Doctor Drew, or if it's Doctor Phil, whatever the hell it is. To me, that stuff is supposed to be private. You keep it private. But anyway, she she spoke very well about the, the Tyson situation. But then, in summing it up, Mike goes. Life has beaten me into submission. Life was tougher than me. So I'm doing the other way now. I'm committed to doing it the other way. I've learned gratitude from life kicking my ass. So as I might say, you know, to start this off, that it should have been called Mike Tyson the Farce, It was by no means a shot at Mike Tyson. It was a shot at this documentary. But if anything good came out of the documentary that I got to see, 
I got to see the last eight minutes of it. And Tyson, to me, as I said, for the first time, you know what, folks? They say better late than never. Well, maybe, maybe for the first time, Mike Tyson is finally getting it. And I hope that is the case. But right now, my friends, that is a wrap on today's Get a Load of This. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's podcast. You can do that on Twitter at Russ Salzberg. You can do it on Facebook. You can always check out my website at russsalzberg.com. Big time thank yous to my home here at Believe.com. Believe, of course, the number one podcast network for professionals. But above all, got to thank you, the people out there, because without you, the people out there, I'd have nobody in here to be talking to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Have a great week. Talk to you next time. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Some pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.